Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, week two with no baseball. How you doing? How you feeling? Are you doing okay? You look great. I've pulled all my hair out. No, you um, haven't. Your hair looks really I, long. Yeah, actually, it's longer than it's ever been. Quarantine flow. Uh, yeah, it's longer than it's been since I had that had that flow down to my shoulders. That was that was a lot. So I'm I'm having dreams about baseball or nightmares about baseball since I'm an A's fan. Oh, but, I had a know. dream that I, I should tell you about and tell all the listeners about too. Uh, my dream last night was about uh, I won $11,000 playing blackjack with Mike Francesa. Basically, I need life to come back, you know? <laughs> Things are bad when Mike Francesa is showing up in your dreams. He was like doing play-by-play for the blackjack. Should I do it? Should I do the Francesa? Oh, God. Should I leave it till the end? I'll leave it till the end. Uh, on today's podcast, we like we mentioned last week, we're going to do a tipping pitches classics retrospective whatever throw a bunch of words in there whatever you want to call it on game seven of the 1991 world series between uh the minnesota twins and the atlanta braves we are also lucky enough to be joined by jeremy wolf of more than baseball um, which is an organization trying to make life better for minor leaguers while they're in before they make it to the major leagues um and that was a really fun conversation about what more than baseball is um how jeremy got started with that and uh also you know we tweeted about this a little bit but uh alex was whipping up some designs graphic design is my passion huh just just whipping them up i was in the kitchen just throwing designs in the oven for taking our, them out uh, letting them rise for the first wave of the official tipping pitches merch so you can go find that it's pinned on our twitter um and all the proceeds from that will go to more than baseball so uh we hope that you go buy some t-shirts we hope that you enjoy our conversation with jeremy um, but before we get to all of that, and before we get to the 1991 World Series, which it's this is real desperate times. We're going 29 years in the past to praise John Smoltz. <laughs> uh, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Faisley. And this is Tipping Pitch. Bobby, before you, I know that you're about to read a uh, a summary. Mm-hmm. of the game and just give give our listeners a bit of a rundown yeah, into what them happened and, and catch them up to speed and and also to all of our listeners if you want to go and watch the game or, or watch highlights on youtube all of this stuff is available for free we want you to to join us on this journey um but but can i just say i think i see where john smoltz is coming from about pitching after wow. watching after watching this already game, derailed the segment wow i am a fan of john smoltz now yeah this might end the podcast, but but I just have to stay true to my heart. Spoiler alert, me too. Can I do the summary <laughs> first, and then we can talk about that later? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's all suspend our disbelief for a moment and transport back to 1991. Folks, we've been wrong. We kept saying, this series can't get any better. And it got better and better and better. And now here we are with this game to mark the end of a glorious baseball season. Back into the hands of the gentle and sometimes too calm voice of Jack Buck, 
the nostalgic grain of standard definition washed over our computer screens, Alex mustaches and mullets as far as the eye can see. I thought that today's announcers were boring, but oh my god. Wow, it's it was bad. It was bleak back then, guys. <laughs> the amount of just dead air. <laughs> lots of dead air, although lots of really good crowd noise. Counterpoint. Uh, it's Game 7 of the 1991 World Series. It's 36-year-old Jack Morris versus 24-year-old John Smoltz. The bona fide ace in the tale of his prime versus the baseball legend not yet known to be a baseball legend. Never mind the fact that each lineup was littered with 300 hitters or that a lunging line drive home run off the bat of Kirby Puckett had decided Game 6. Game 7 is about pitching, and it did not disappoint. Alex, I'm not going to bore you or the listeners with the details of innings 1 through 8 because not that much happened. Shit sucked. (laughs) (laughs) 0-0 the whole time. Lots of strikeouts, lots of groundouts, lots of just fundamental baseball. Sorry for signing everyone up for... Uh, nothing for two hours and 10 minutes and then a lot of fun for 35. Uh, I'm not going to give the exact box score breakdown of the double plays that ended Twins rallies in the 6th, 8th, and ninth inning before they finally broke through in the 10th. I won't even bore you with an unnecessary rant about how there's no way that Chuck Knobloch is the real name of a real baseball player who was integral in winning a World Series. Chuck Knobloch? That sounds like a David Roth made-up name during Remember Some Guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chuck Knobloch, uh, notorious piece of shit, too. Yeah. So, you know. Not a good guy. Just, <laughs> handful of, of guys on these teams. Just just, just awful, Real awful winners. people. But, but, you know, that's what... It's baseball, folks. Watching baseball. Great, great color commentary from you, Alex. Thanks. Let's start in the top of the eighth. Braves leadoff hitter and also DH. Interesting strategy from Bobby Cox. Lonnie Smith is on first base when third baseman Terry Pendleton doubled to the gap. Confoundingly, as Smith is rounding second base, previously mentioned Chuck Knobloch and uh, twin shortstop Greg Gagne, run a decoy double play turn as if Lonnie Smith hadn't seen the ball hit in the air in the outfield. And the decoy either works or is timed coincidentally enough to make it seem like it worked. Smith pauses rounding second, continues when he sees the ball hit the ground in the outfield, but doesn't score, has to stop at third. Jack Morris, who I feel like we haven't mentioned his name enough in this in this summary so far, but we'll get to him later, induces a weak round ball to get Ron Gant out for like the 17th time that game. And then they turn the fastest 3-2-3 double play in the history of baseball to get out of the inning. Are you with me, Alex? I'm with you. The amount of like plays in this game where I'm like, he's going to throw this away. They're going to fuck this up somehow. Zero errors in this 10-inning baseball game. Zero errors. Big fundies. I want to talk about that with you later. (laughs) Smoltz, with his pitch count north of 100 at the beginning of the eighth inning, is knocked out following a gorgeous hit and run. Remember those? Yeah, I do remember those. Smoltz is pissed when he gets taken out, too. He is mad. He flips the ball to Bobby Cox. He doesn't want to leave the mound. I love that. I love that energy. He was like Max Scherzer before Max Scherzer, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The hit and run sets up Game 6 hero Kirby Puckett, who the Braves intentionally walked in favor of Kent Herbeck, a lot of vowels in that guy's name, who, of course, lines into an unassisted inning-ending double play. A lot of words right there. Jack Morris, pitch count at 100? 110? 120? Doesn't really matter. Pitch counts aren't real. Pitches aren't real. I'm convinced that the Twins were just not keeping track of Jack Morris's pitch count in this game. Anyway. 100% not doesn't matter he goes one two three in the top of the ninth the twins do nothing in the bottom of the ninth then wash rinse repeat with jack morris in the top of the 10th 
10th inning, starting pitcher, 10th inning, to lead to what we all know is the end, a walk-off from Gene Larkin in the bottom of the 10th with the bases loaded to give the Twins their second World Series in just five years. Alex, it sounds like a lot when I read it dramatically like that, but it really wasn't that much. This game was not that eventful. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the first of our extremely fun segment. We watched a baseball game and... uh... It was okay. It was okay (laughs) until the eighth. (laughs) The thing is, and I think this is a good game to start with because it's not very often that you and I talk about why we like baseball. You know, we talk about why we're frustrated with baseball. We talk about the players. We talk about funny, quirky things that we enjoy from week to week. But in terms of the actual sport, the rules, the characteristics of why we like this game, we don't totally get the chance to talk about that all the time i think back to like when we were still doing this podcast in its early uh in its early stages 2017 world series which has now been unfortunately tainted by trash can banging but i remember doing like a immediate follow-up to game five and you and i sort of being at a loss for words for how we talk about why we loved what just happened in front of our eyes and the thing about this game is that it must have been so dope in the moment because the tension building, I could feel it even 29 years later, I could feel the tension in the Metrodome building and those Twins fans putting all of their trust in Jack Morris and the Twins manager putting all of his trust in Jack Morris and that like just knock-on effect of inning after inning, seeing him come back out. But you and I knew it was going to happen, so it was a little bit different of an experience for us. Yeah, you know, I... I thought that maybe watching this game where I I knew what was going to happen would kind of take the air out of it a little bit. And I guess to a certain extent it it does, but I had also never watched this game start to finish. So you really, that really kind of pulls you into the moment a little bit because yeah, you know what the final score is going to be, but you don't know what that, those pitches are going to look like. And you don't know about those, those pivotal moments and watching Lonnie Smith lose the ball in the outfield and, and turn back to second base. And then and the fact that is it Jack Buck who was like, who was like, Oh, just horrible base running. Like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> just ro- roasts the man on live TV. We're now like 10, 10, 15 minutes into this segment. And I haven't brought up the fact that it's Jack Buck and Tim motherfucking McCarver the goat young tim mccarver younger tim mccarver i guess i should say or not quite as old tim mccarver but yeah i think it was jack buck who was like that's just horrible base running and i i guess announcers must have prized fundamentals a lot more back then because the fundamentals in the rest of the game were absolutely fantastic yeah oh my god the amount of bunts remember bunting dudes <laughs> a lot of really good bunts um yeah can we talk about the lonnie smith thing real quick yes please what happened you played baseball for a really long time. Have you ever seen anything like that where, I mean, I I understand that people lose the ball in the outfield all the time. They don't know where it is. There's a lot of base running errors that result from not being able to pick up the ball and understand the outfielders and everything. But are, did you see the fake double play thing? Did you know? Did you catch that? They showed a replay of it. Yeah. Um, why I, would you even? Why would you even practice running a fake double play for a pop up to the outfield or a line drive to the outfield? That's something that I think we've seen before. Um, middle infielders will will sometimes do a kind of deke just to maybe stop the run. And I don't think that that's what Lonnie Smith was reacting to at all. Um, 
I think it's the fact that like they're playing in a domed stadium and when the ball goes up, sometimes you just, <laughs> it stays up there for you. Right. And you have no idea where it is until it hits the ground. Um, and the way that the outfielders were running, I almost like, like I kind of get it. Like it almost kind of looked like they, like they were slowing up in part because the ball was just going to be like bounce off the wall. Yeah. But, but you know, if you're Lonnie Smith, and you're running around the bases, like if you lose the ball, the best thing you can do there is just like go Hold station to station, yeah. right? Like the last thing you want to do is like get caught off first base or whatever. So I it's it's a tough situation to be in and and to kind of become the the scapegoat for that uh really pivotal moment. But you know, I mean, hey man, I, I empathize empathize with the guy. We've all we've all lost a proverbial fly ball in our lives, you know? <laughs> Some might say we're losing proverbial fly balls every day of our every Just day of left our lives. and right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the the other Lonnie Smith moment that stood out to me um, is the handshake to open the game when he walks up and uh, and shakes hands with catcher Brian Harper and even Buck comments on this as well and is like I don't think I've ever seen a baseball player do that and it is this like startling. Um, degree of like humanity on like the world's biggest stage playing what might be the biggest game for most of the players uh, playing. Right. And just this like recognition of your opponent and their humanity. It was, it was jarring. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it yet, um, basically Lonnie Smith is the leadoff hitter for the Braves. Braves are batting in the top of the first because it's taking place in Minnesota. And he walks up to the catcher. What's his name? What Harper? Uh, Brian Harper. He walks up to the catcher, Brian Harper, and I think they're former teammates. I think Buck mentions that. And uh, they just shake hands. They just reach out. They do the old handshake, and that's it. And then the game starts. And I know it's a little thing, but like it does sort of illustrate... like guys, Guys are friendlier than ever now. And we hear about that all the time in all different types of sports. They... They have elaborate handshakes or they are cracking jokes to each other before the game and after the game and everything like that. But this is so, it's so old school to just reach out and shake hands in the way that they did that I was like, yeah. oh, this is, this is, um, it's like a ritualistic thing that they did. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like a bygone era's indication that you have respect for the person across the diamond from you. Yeah. Uh, so you and I liked that. You know who didn't like that? Jack Morris came out later and said, "When I saw when I saw my catcher do that, I wanted to punch him in the face." That's the <laughs> enemy right there. <laughs> and you know what? I get that. I get that. Jack Morris, just absolute king, dude. Jack Morris was on one in this game, and and I mean, just like head to toe, everything about him, he was just juiced. Like he was arguing balls and strikes throughout the whole game. He was fist pumping, hashtag pitcher showing emotion or whatever that hashtag is that goes around that that pitching ninja tweets about. Uh, he was doing all of that, and he, it's just like the type of thing where I can't believe that people used to look like that playing baseball. You know, because we yeah. we've gotten to this point where like the game is kind of so many players are like anodyne and fundamentally sound enough where like the delivery looks amazing and granted like the pitches are are cooler to watch than ever but like there's less of a quirk to each individual great pitcher now than there used to be like everybody has perfected their delivery and 
I think you see the dichotomy of that between John Smoltz and Jack Morris because I texted you this as soon as I started watching this game, but John Smoltz's delivery in this game and I guess in his career, you know, I didn't watch a ton of John Smoltz as a starter. I watched him more as a closer where he was primarily operating out of the stretch, you know, but post-injury, but his his windup and his delivery and his follow-through and the fluidity of his motion was just so ahead of his time, you know? Like, he looks yeah. like Walker Bueller. He looks like Jacob deGrom. He looks like these guys now who have kind of, like, pulled from the fundamentals of the best pitchers in the, in the past. And Jack Morris is just all forearms, dude. He's all just grit and forearm. Yeah. Uh, Smoltz's delivery... At times, it actually almost reminded me of the deliveries that we see coming out of Japan. Like, he had this kind of, like, weird leg kick. Um, and he obviously doesn't do, like, the the emphatic pauses that a guy like Masahiro Tanaka does. But it is like this, it's... Or, like, any shimmies or anything like that. Right, yeah. exactly. He doesn't have that flair necessarily, but it's very, like, fine-tuned with, it, with like, a little bit of... Of personality baked into it like it's not justin verlander pristine um but he's like he hunches over a little bit and he and he kicks his leg out a little bit and you watch it and you're just like my my god i could watch this i could watch this for days everything aesthetically about this game was was actually really appealing to me you know like all of the uniforms those minnesota twins uniforms are were really nice the braves uniforms are exactly the same as they are now and I, I found them to be a little bit boring and uh, still racist. But everything about like the high socks, the tight pants, the boxy hats, like I was into it. I miss I miss when baseball looked like that. Oh my god, I miss when baseball players like just wore their pants like to the middle of the shins and everyone wore stirrups. It looked so freaking goofy. Oh my god. <laughs> um crowd shots. Crowd shots. Everybody looks so ridiculous. These big Coke bottle glasses and like these bad haircuts and yeah. these starter jackets and everything. Like everybody mm-hmm. looked so dumb. Yeah. But also yeah. people are going to say that about us now. So. <laughs> no, we're the pinnacle of baseball fandom. All right. Let me run down this cast of characters that I wrote down of guys where I was like, oh, that's a guy that I know. I before you start reading off these names, it was a little stunning to me. Like, like there are obviously some some baseball players who kind of make it out uh, or make it into like the lore of the game, but there's relatively little like true star power on this team, at least among the hitters. Obviously, like the the Braves rotation is is pretty well known, um, but like their lineup actually like. I don't know. In my opinion, kind of stunk. wasn't very good. <laughs> Twins line up pretty fucking good. Like most of those guys were hitting 280. But the Braves had Ron Gant had 32 home runs. Then they had a couple guys with Ron Gant who run. went like 0 for 8 in this game. Yeah, who went 0 for 8 in this game, but tough also game. like to- yeah, tough game. But also he's like the, <laughs> literally the only hitter who did anything semi productive during the year. So you know he he did his part. I think. All right, are you ready for my list of guys? Give me your list of guys. Here's my list of guys. Young David Justice. Shout out Moneyball. Fuck yeah. (laughs) I saw him and I was like, hey, that's the guy from Moneyball. (laughs) And you know what? I'm I'm always curious what these guys are up to. And so I went and found him on Twitter. Turns out he just retweets a bunch of anti-Trump stuff. So David Justice, 
Shout out. Welcome real, to the that's, resistance. That's real justice right there. Kirby Puckett, obviously. One of the best baseball names ever. I don't think that I really fully processed the fact that Kirby Puckett was like 5'4". Yeah. Little dude. little dude. And he was like jacked. Yeah. Young Smoltz, obviously. Uh, young Chili Davis. Matt's hitting coach. And like, for some reason, the most divisive coach in the history of baseball. <laughs> he People either think that he makes your team like the worst hitting team in the league or like the best hitting team in the league. I don't understand. Here's my favorite one. Ned Yost. Did you catch him? Where was Ned Yost? Ned Yost was the bullpen coach for the Braves. So when they were warming up Mike Stanton to bring him in after Smoltz was over 100 pitches and uh, and was getting knocked out in the eighth inning, it cuts to the bullpen, which is on the field, similar to how the A's have it now. And you just see Ned Yost facing Mike Stanton as he's warming up. And you can just see the back of his jersey that says Yost. And I'm like, damn. I cannot That's get away from this fucking guy. <laughs> Did I miss anyone that you that you noticed and you were like, oh. Well, actually, there was one big notable absence from this game. And it's really it's really quite a bummer that we didn't get to see this guy uh help the Braves to a to a championship because he could have done it. That man, Deion Sanders, mm. who signed with the Braves at the start of the season. And, uh, you know, not doing so hot. I mean, he hit like 118 or something like that, which, I mean, it's Tim Tebow did better. Um, but, but not uh, at the major league level. <laughs> no, I feel like we now could, interrupt though. this segment to talk about whether Deion Sanders or Tim Tebow is the better football player baseball <laughs> crossover. <laughs> uh, Deion Sanders, who played with the team through July and then reported to Falcons training camp. As his contract stipulated, unfortunately, we missed out on some on some neon Dion in the '91 World Series. If he was on first base instead of Lonnie Smith, he would have scored. Absolutely, the Braves win. I want to talk to you about what are some things that you really felt like stood in contrast with how we watch baseball now. So, like this game at the time, it's obviously lauded as one of the best baseball games of all time. Certain outlets and everything have called it the best baseball game of all time. I think primarily because. 10 inning shutout in game seven by a future Hall of Famer. It's like, it just checks all the boxes. But to you in 2020, what were some things that stuck out as like antiquated or weird or bad or better even? Okay. The first thing that stood out to me, and this isn't exclusive to this game or any game from this era, really. How did you watch baseball games without having the score on the, on the screen? How do, you, how do you know what the hell the count is? I oh tweeted my God. this. Hey, boomers, how did you do this? Did you literally, <laughs> was every single person just keeping a scorecard? I, ha- I have no idea. They would like flash it in the middle of the bat. Oh, just a reminder. Here's how many outs are in the inning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just a reminder. Here's the fucking score, which wasn't even important in this game because there was no score. But yeah. Can you imagine trying to watch game five of the 2017 World Series with no scorekeeper? on the screen but you'd be like what's the score 40 to 29 i don't know yeah what inning is it did this game just start or is it almost over i but i think that does speak to like a different way that we watch and engage with the game because it's so much more focused on those nuances i always found myself like watching jack morris throw a pitch and then me wanting to be like how fast was that yep. i have no idea what because the count? they yeah exactly um and 
I think that like as the game has developed, I mean, those things are obviously like just important. And when you can give that information, like you do, but it also, I think speaks to like fans kind of wanting to engage with the game a little more on like a granular level and like wanting to know about like situational hitting, right? Like the, which runners are on base where, and whether like this is the time in the count where like you lay down a bunch or something like that. Um, Boomers, I have no idea how you did this for so long. I'm sorry. I really just think that everybody just kept score at home on their own scorecard. You think? I mean, that's what I would do. I, I like. I wasn't doing that for this game because it happened in 1991, and I could just look <laughs> it up on Baseball Reference alongside it. But uh, I feel like I would have to. I don't know that I have the attention span to just remember. Also. I know that like Jack Buck is a legend and everything, but I didn't feel like he was reminding me the count or the outs very frequently. Nah, nah. That was literally was like the first fend, thing I wrote down. For was yourself. like, announcers are so boring, LOL. I'm like, what do you guys, what did you guys just talk about for three hours? I, I only heard Tim McCarver like eight times in this whole broadcast. Yeah, I know. Here's what I got. Um, the intentional walk rule is so good now. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Watching them like just line up and throw four wide, like because there was a lot of intentional walks in this game, just because it was so tense yeah. and so low scoring and so situational, and um, you know the Braves utilized it a lot of times in the later innings, and it actually worked out really well for them. Shout out to the intentional walk working out, like something that yeah. the Astros literally did not do one time last year. Literally, literally, like every little piece of like planning that went into this game every situational plan like was executed perfectly every intentional walk every bunt every three two three double play what the fuck yeah every like three different intentional walks led to double plays that never happens no (laughs) but anyway it just felt so silly watching them like throw four wide and that rule change has not been around for that long what like four or five years maybe less Oh, what the new intentional walk rule? Yeah, what two years? It was yeah, what last year? I think I don't even know. Time time is fake, but the fact that I've acclimated to that rule change so quickly just goes to show you that there are minor tweaks that you can do around the edges of the game, Rob, and it doesn't have to be like <laughs> changing the fundamental cores with the way that we play this game. Yeah, <laughs> they can have a big impact. You know, I think that the thing that really stood out to me or at least stood out to me like kind of watching this game in 2020. And it's something that we alluded to at the top of, of this segment. Um, I, I scooped us on this a little bit, but um, I, uh, I get why people want to see uh want to see pictures. I get the frustration. I do. And I also, I, <laughs> <laughs> I also don't see what good it does. Like whining about it, you know, like that's, yeah. Also an unenjoyable experience to like, like, I think our point still stands of like, maybe enjoy the game for what it is, but like, <laughs> start a you podcast play, if you want to whine and have nobody listen, you know, don't yeah, do it. Absolutely. Where That's I what have, we did. have to listen to you on <laughs> national baseball broadcast. But like, seriously, like watching this game, watching the pitchers, watching Jack Morris talk himself into pitching the 10th inning. Like that's. It's ballsy stuff right there. And so like I am into the idea of just like appreciating how the game develops and adapting to that. But like I also understand that like if you grew up watching guys just gut out eight, nine innings, regardless of what it did to their arms, um, I, I I get the frustration. 
I do. John Smoltz is right. Justice for John Smoltz. I kind of knew that this was going to be where this podcast went yeah, as soon as yeah. we chose this game. But also, uh-huh. it's not lost on me how satisfying it is to hear you defend John Smoltz. <laughs> the only time. Enjoy it while it lasts. I loved how mad he was when he got pulled. You know, they yeah. cut to the dugout a couple times. He was like kind of pouting a little bit. I'm into yeah. it. <laughs> Show some emotion, John Smoltz. I like it. Uh, here, here's another thing that I really couldn't get over the fact. There was only three body types of all of the players involved in this game. Yeah. Every player was either long, lean, and lanky, like David Justice, short, squatty, and muscular, like Kirby Puckett, or old, hobbling, and hunchbacked, like half the Twins lineup who somehow still all hit 300. Including kind of Jack Morris? (laughs) (laughs) He was 36. Yeah. Is there a comparable 36-year-old pitcher who could do what he did in this game? I guess like Verlander. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like players are so fine tuned today. I mean, it was like in the nineties they had beer and HGH and in 2020, they just have yeah, so literally many dudes every, were juicing in this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back then they had that. And in 2020, you just have, I don't know, driveline baseball. <laughs> Trevor Bauer shaming you if you haven't worked your hardest to be as the best you can. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It, it It's so funny watching some of these guys and just looking at their body types. And I'm like, how did you make a career out of doing this? I, I don't Yet, understand. Like, they're executing to perfection. I think that that speaks to like why, why baseball is such like a unique and like accessible sport in some ways because it doesn't demand like a very singular body type from you. It doesn't demand like a like a very specific skill set necessarily. Like you can come to the game and be like short and squat and just like be jacked and they'll just like plop you at first base and you can hit 40 home runs a year, right? Like in no other sport really is I think they're that range. like maybe football. Um, yeah, but, but like what you don't know like, about football is that everybody is over six two, and the people that look bigger are like six seven. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no other sport allows for Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve to stand on the same field together. Well, I mean, don't say Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve's name in the same sentence, or MLB will start tweeting that picture out again. But. <laughs> I think it's funny too because every batter has to come up and stand next to the umpire so you can actually see what they look like next to a normal human being body type. Yeah. Provided that the umpires are not like six seven. I don't know. This is great. If there's if there's one reason to keep umpires around, it's just for visual context. It's like a barometer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> to scale. Inches um, above umpire. <laughs> uh what did you think about the umpires in this game? This is obviously pre-replay. This is obviously pre-K zone. It's another thing that I wrote down in my takeaways. Um, did you find it to be poorly called? Did you find yourself distracted? What? 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 Where was your head at? Um, I will say that, like, so I I think that the K zone is very weird, and I don't really like it when they have it broadcasted on the screen all the time. Um, but I also like found myself like kind of shrugging my shoulders at calls a lot, yes. like during this game. Like there were a lot of yeah. times when I was like 
there's no way that was a strike, but I don't really know. So I guess moving on. And I then they move um, on so fast. <laughs> so fast. Because the pitchers work so much faster. I wrote that in my notes yeah. too. The pitchers work way faster than they do these days. So there's less time to like wallow in a missed strike call. And you can't just open up the MLB at bat app and see where the pitch came in. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a lot less like backseat coaching or backseat umping that you can do. You kind of just have to let the game like wash over you. And it is like a very different experience. Like just the amount of technology that we have at our fingers today that allows us to dissect the game in a million different ways. I love it. I really do. But it's a totally different game watching experience from watching something 30 years ago. This is like such a conversation for 23 and 24 year olds to be having. You're like, what do you mean you watched a baseball game without MLB at bat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually, I found that part better. I liked it better. And obviously, like, in my lifetime, there has been games that I've watched with no K-Zone. The K-Zone's, like, relatively new. If I remember correctly, it was, like, ESPN that was the first one who left it on the screen throughout the whole time. And personally, I I hate that. I hate it. I hate that the K-Zone is on the screen the entire time. I'm fine with it between pitches, you know, if you want to do a replay. But that's that's another thing is that the broadcast itself, they just had less time for replays than than we do now. So like obviously important plays like the the um the Lonnie Smith rounding second base and having to wait, you know, we saw that a bunch of times and we saw the 323 double plays a couple times. We saw a couple Jack Morris Ks um repeated, but like in terms of just replaying every single pitch, they didn't do a lot of that. Yeah. Oh my God. Just it made me realize like how many times we just like watch a strike thrown like slightly outside, like the umpire missed or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like in today's games. And oh, I'm it's just, like seven <laughs> times in between and each like, pitch. The reason the reason that baseball games are so long is because we're just watching the game twice, basically. <laughs> You're completely right. Okay, are you ready for it to sound like I'm giving in, but really I'm going to bring it all the way around? Um, no, I'm. I don't think I'm. I'm mentally ready for that, but I don't have a choice, so go for it. Bear with me. The DH was actually a good thing in this game. Oh wow! Not where this, I was expecting you to go for it. All right. This is the exception that proves the rule to me. Okay, so it was good because it meant that Tom Kelly, who's the Twins manager. He was not ever tempted to pull Jack Morris at all before he needed to. You know, if if it takes a 10-inning shutout from Jack Morris to convince me, Alex, that the DH is legitimate, it's probably not that legitimate. That's my take. This was the one time the DH was good. <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm not gonna take the bait. I'm Come not on. gonna start I'm not gonna start a, a DH argument with you right now. Um I thought I but, could get you. <laughs> Um, Tom Kelly even said he was quoted uh, earlier during the series when the twins were playing at the Braves. He was like, uh, he was like coaching without the DH. Uh, it's like rocket science, right? Like, there's so <laughs> there's so much more like strategy that you have to like kind of incorporate into pulling pitchers or 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 placing hitters in in various places. Yeah, strange times. One other thing that I did notice that they kept doing is they kept um 
They kept showing statistics from like the World Series of the 1920s and 30s. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I love that like that was the history they were pulling from. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I guess if we watched today's World Series, they would pull back from like the 70s and 80s and stuff. And that's just kind of similar to what they were doing at the time. Yeah. A lot of Babe Ruth talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they would be like, this pitcher won 30 games in 1918. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Thanks for the context, Jack Buck. <laughs> um, I think uh, let's talk about the end of the game real quick. So so I mentioned it earlier in my summary, but the Twins ended up winning in the bottom of the 10th on a, um, a bases loaded walk off single, I guess. But it was a double to the gap, really, from um, from Gene Larkin, who was injured but pinch hitting. Um, the inning started off with a broken bat double it was like a bloop single that dan gladden the leadoff hitter the left fielder for the twins who had a fantastic mullet he was like balding in the front and a lot of party in the back his helmet came flying off as he slid into second when he stretched the single into a double but the pitcher at the time for the for the braves so they went from obviously john smoltz went as long as he was allowed by the manager bobby cox um they pulled him put in mike stanton who was like a he ended up pitching for a really long time. He he was on the Yankees for a really long time. He had a great career, but he was a really hard-throwing lefty, which is pretty rare, um, especially back in the 90s where velocity wasn't as high as it is today. But after Stanton got knocked out, he went, at, I think, like an inning or an inning and a half. Um, they brought in Carlos Pena, who I think Jack Buck mentioned um, that he had gone two innings in game six, which... It just struck me like the difference in strategy. And this is only like 30 years ago. The game has changed so much, but there is no way in hell that I guess I shouldn't say this because Joe Madden just did this two years ago, but there's no way in hell that you would bring in a reliever who had just gone two innings the game before and just bring him in and leave him in indefinitely in extra innings. Right? Like there, there are so many better relievers now. There's so many more options for managers that Bobby Cox would not be forced to go Mike Stanton and then right back to Carlos Pena. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're right. And I think that like, it's also games like this that inform how managers make decisions today. Right. Like just the, the reliance on your, this game showed the duality of that, right? Like the benefits of relying on your workhorse and also the perils of it. Um, I guess I I see why like it's maybe easier to become a casual baseball fan in like the 80s or 90s because there are only like four pitchers that you're, the manager really turns to, you know? <laughs> like yeah. there are so many fewer names you have to keep track of. Yeah, you're right. Um is there anything else that we missed? Last last remaining lingering thoughts about the greatest World Series game ever played, Alex. Uh, all right. Well, I, I guess just two questions to contextualize it. Um, do you think that this is a game that could still be played today? Do we still see that this sort of thing happening? And I think I know the answer to that. Um, but my second question for you is, what do you think? Was this the greatest World Series game ever played? How does it, how does it hold up? How does it hold up watching nearly 30 years later? Um. I'll answer your first question first because I think it's easier to answer. I think that this is a game that could not be played today because there is not a single manager who would leave their starter in for this long. I mean, 
<laughs> Jack Morris faced trouble on the base paths in the sixth, eighth, and ninth inning. Yeah. And Tom Kelly let him pitch through it. Like that, that would never happen. There is no starter who has that cachet that Morris had. You know, he had a great career with the Tigers before the Twins traded for him specifically to be the ace to pitch in big games with them in this 1991 postseason. Like he pitched in games, he pitched in the first game of every series and he pitched in games one, four, and seven of this World Series. Like that's nuts. That is Madison Bumgarner. And that's why we were so shocked when Madison Bumgarner did this in 2014 because it was like, it was like remnants of a bygone era, like a different type of guy. And Mad Bum sticks out so much now compared to how most aces are used and trusted and everything. And and rightfully so. Like, you know, Clayton Kershaw is the pitcher of this generation, but he shouldn't be trusted to be left in with runners on the base paths in the sixth, eighth, and ninth innings. As we've seen, he's given up a lot of runs in those scenarios. So, no, I don't think this is a game that can happen again. And that's that's a shame because to answer your second question, yeah, I think it really is one of the greatest baseball games ever played. And it's not the most entertaining baseball game ever played. It's not the most entertaining rewatch if you've already seen the game before. But I'm trying to place myself in the headspace of what it would have been like to watch this for the first time, knowing the tension that I've felt in pitching duels in World Series that I've watched since this. And, you know, like you think back to Matt Harvey's game in 2015 and how it all unraveled at the end. But for those eight, nine innings, eight and a half innings where he was just dealing and completely shutting out uh, an impressive lineup on the other side of the ball. Like that is just, that's the type of stuff that you don't, you don't see all the time. And the fact that it happened situationally in game seven of a world series that literally had not, neither team had caved. They'd won all their home games respectively. I think for that reason alone, like you have to consider it really legendary. Um, But in terms of entertainment value, like your mileage may vary depending on what, you look for in a baseball game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's like, it's the kind of game that can be very easily appreciated by like a hardcore baseball fan. Like, it's not the game that I think you would show someone who you're like trying to get into the sport, you know? Like, sit here and watch a game for where the first two and a half hours, like, nothing happens, you know? Um, But like, I think as you and I, and maybe many of our listeners, um, kind of being people who are very steeped in that lore. Um, it's like, it's very easy to like appreciate the magic of the moment. And it's also something that like a lot of the like quote unquote storylines building up to it were, uh, like it, it felt almost too good to be true. Like, like we didn't even mention the fact that both of these teams had finished in last place the the year prior. And we didn't mention and, the fact that this was the beginning of a nineties Braves dynasty that led to the nineteen ninety five World Series, but also like that some people feel slightly disappointed only led to one World Series. It was one of the greatest pitching rotations of all time. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that like John Smoltz had grown up watching Jack Morris, right? Like this is his childhood pitching hero. And Jack Morris is signed by the twins the offseason prior and ends up uh pitching and winning a World Series championship, like just miles from where he grew up, right? Like all of these things way too good to be true. This Jack Morris's only year with the twins, and it ends up being this like the the stuff of legends. So I think how you appreciate this sort of game really just like depends on the background that you're you're coming at it with. But uh this yeah, shit was good. 
It was, it was pretty good baseball. I think Worth we can say that these are these are these are good games. <laughs> um, all right, so that's game one in the books. Uh, Alex, let's let the listener know what we're going to do next week. Bobby, it wouldn't be a look through baseball history without having to engage with the New York Yankees. God but uh, but at least we get to maybe do it in a space where they lose. So, spoiler we're gonna, alert: <laughs> we're going to go back to 1995. The ALDS, the Seattle Mariners versus the New York Yankees with uh, with some more fun walk-off action. And we got some two incredibly stacked baseball teams here. Shouts out to uh shouts out to my mom for suggesting this. She just she dropped in our group chat and and dropped some games that that uh, that we should rewatch. So uh, you know, we're taking her advice. So we're gonna watch some some prime Griffey. Shadow some- producer Alex's mom. <laughs> we're gonna watch alex rodriguez not on the yankees true this is edgar martinez yeah. i'm i'm stoked for this baseball community's favorite um so yeah 1995 alds game five and uh we will put the link on our website tipping we'll be tweeting it out as well we hope that you enjoyed this and we hope that you watch it along with us All right, now let's go uh, to our conversation with Jeremy Wolf from More Than Baseball. All right, we are joined by Jeremy Wolf of More Than Baseball. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You reached out to us on Twitter. We were interacting a little bit, and uh, we wanted to talk with you. I think, Alex, actually, didn't you name drop more than baseball last week on the podcast, weirdly enough? Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, as we were kind of talking about um, a lot of the uncertainty around around uh, minor league baseball players right now amid the, amid the postponement of the season. Uh, yeah, more than baseball, and uh, and also the, the newly formed adopt a minor leaguer, which maybe we can get into a little bit later. But uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Jeremy. No, well, thanks. Uh, appreciate it. You know, it's finally finally people are talking about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is good. Which is good. In very unfortunate circumstances. T- tough that it you know took that? a global pandemic, but yeah, exactly. Took, yeah, for people to realize, like minor league baseball players are people too. Yeah. Know? So we're talking about more than baseball. Why don't you just give us and the listeners the complete rundown of what it is, how it got started, your involvement of it, and kind of like maybe a little bit of your personal history on how this came to be an issue that you care about so much. Right. Uh, more than baseball is a tool for player development. Uh, and people may go, wait, that's it's a nonprofit. What does that mean? Well, I'm allowing kids the opportunity, I'm allowing these professional athletes the opportunity to find affordable housing, food, equipment. We help them with career services, financial guidance. Uh, we help them with mental health coaching, uh, nutrition coaching, um, we're making sure these kids can play better on the field by taking care of of those little necessities off the field. So when I was playing minor league baseball, I played for two years with the New York Mets. I was drafted in 2016. And so uh, I saw the struggles firsthand of just trying to play at the best of my ability and the top of my game when I'm making very little money. And so, uh, you know, I start all these conversations off with we're incredibly uh, fortunate for the opportunity to play professional baseball and we're the top 8,000 people in the world at what we do. Um, but that being said, uh, there are some inefficiencies I saw in it and I'm doing what I can to fix it uh, from the inside. So instead of screaming from the rooftops, pay them more, pay them more, what is something I can do today to help them get, uh, to help them focus more on 
getting one more hit a week, right? Or focus more on their performance or focus more on getting another strikeout. Um, I think it's, you know, from the get-go, our mission was to make sure guys had what they needed. And right now, you know, we're doing it on now and now a national stage. It took a, it took a pandemic to uh, get people <laughs> to, to understand what we're yeah. doing. But, uh, you know, now we have a greater influx of players and we didn't change anything that we're doing. Uh, we just have a greater amount of players to work with because now there's a need for something like this. Um, and so when I say we're a tool for player development, well, I can work with the players and ensure that they can get the things that they need to help them play better. Well, what happens when a minor league baseball player plays better? Well, the manager and the coaches, um, their job is based in player development. And so if I can help those those coaches and, and develop their players better than it's helping him. And so if it's helping the managers, the coaches, the players, well, it's also going to help the player development staff and it's going to help the teams overall. And so if I can ensure that these players are developing more efficiently, developing properly, uh, then we're a benefit to the game. Instead of screaming about how little they're being paid, what are, what are some things I can do right, to help a kid focus on his, on his, on his performance? And at the end of the day, if everybody is focused on those players playing better, the kids are going to have a better life. And if the kids have a better life, then then we're doing what we need for the game. It really it really feels like kind of an all too obvious answer that you think that like major league clubs would be more on board with this idea that the your future stars, the the people who even from like a business perspective, like the people who are going to put butts in the seats, I should be should be put in the best possible position to survive let let alone the fact that like these are just like human beings who who shouldn't be paid poverty wages who shouldn't have to like sleep on <laughs> sleep on air mattresses every night so it's i mean it's it's a uh, it's a noble thing you're doing but it's also like i i read through the website and i'm like it's stunning to me that this organization has to exist yeah yeah and, and we don't shame major league baseball into uh, trying to listen to us. It's not about shaming. It's not about uh, making them look bad. It, it's what can I, I love baseball, right? right? I wanted to give back to the game. Well, how can I make baseball a better place? Well, I, A, I can help minor league baseball players get things that they need to help them play better, right? That makes the game better because at these community levels, at these at these minor league levels, this is where they can do more work in the community. This is where minor league baseball players hold value, right? And so, if I can show on social media or in their communities or in where they play minor league baseball that these players hold value, then there's incentive to work with them. They're professional athletes. So if I bring them to the national stage, if I help uh, bring them to uh, a small business or a, a, a new brand, a new clothing company, they have a professional athlete working with them. In public space, being a professional athlete is important. Uh, you know, you have a voice, you have a platform, uh, in baseball, minor league baseball players are seen as, as, as commodities. They're seen as, uh, less than because they're, uh, the new guys on the block whatever it might be. We're trying to make sure that minor league baseball players have a voice before us. There was nothing there. You just hear articles and guys were, um, you know, anonymous, they were off the record, like it was nothing serious. But now, because we speak about baseball in such a, uh, a great way, we're trying, to, we're trying to do what we can for the game. Guys are public about talking with us. And that's the change. And that's why you see more people working with us now is because especially in something like this, guys are 
more open to saying, well, I'm working with more than baseball because he's going to help me during my career and he's going to help me. They're going to help me after my career. And we're trying to help players as they get into minor league baseball as well, navigate the space of the draft, navigate where to put their money, navigate uh, how to establish themselves, the mental aspects of it. And so um, we're filling holes in minor league baseball and professional baseball um, that frankly need to be filled and we're doing it uh, within the game. If that makes, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Alex and I, I mean, we talk on this show a lot about the, either the problems that MLB has or some of the, the issues that minor league baseball faces. And obviously it was in the news a lot last year about the, the desire to cut 42 minor league teams and, we went on a long rant about how important we feel like these minor league teams are to their communities, but also to the opportunities that they present players. Um, I, I think we are often running into a wall in terms of what we can actually do. And so that's why we wanted to have you on to kind of talk about like what you guys actually do. Can you uh, tell us like a little bit about like what was a moment that you decided that this was something that you needed to start and put this much time and effort and work into and, and then kind of like, what it looks like when you take a donation and and like where you're trying to reallocate that to. We started it the day the Save America's Pastime Act came out, which was March of 2018. I had just gotten released in in September, October of 2017. I had a back injury at the end of my season. I played in Brooklyn. Uh, got injured and and you know had surgery, but I got released before I could walk yet, and I knew that. While I was playing, there were, you know, I had to buy, buy my own equipment and I didn't have an agent. And a lot of the times we weren't being fed and we certainly weren't being fed the highest quality nutrition, right? I had Golden Corral maybe, you know, 30 days in a row. And, and, uh, so, <laughs> and so that's your digestive <laughs> track. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not sponsored by Golden Corral, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you, we're professional athletes, right? And so I tried to make sure when I was when I was playing that, you know, if I made a phone call or if I texted, you know, somebody, if I made an email, I'd say, hey, you know, the Brooklyn Cyclones are looking for uh, someone to send, you know, a uh, uh, hundred packets of peanut butter or some beef jerky. Like, would you be willing to do that? Everyone said yes. If I sent an email and said these guys were interested in your product, we'll post a little bit on social media. If you send us product, and everybody said yes. And so I knew that there was power, we had power there, but how can I scale that? Well, after I got released and after the Save America's Pastime Act came out, which was just kind of a, an excuse to make sure guys kind of stay in the same vein, right? No overtime for their work and, uh, you know, no lawsuits based on the fair wage laws or whatever it might be. And so I, I just said, you know, if Major League Baseball is going to lobby against minor league players, like what, what can I do? Um, to help minor league players because uh, there's nobody that they're helping them. And granted, they're they're professional athletes. Like, why should I put my time and effort in helping a guy who's not forced to do something? Well, it's because I love the game and I'm doing what I can to make the game better. And by working with minor league players, I get to go and use them to help build a field in Detroit or Tampa or Austin, Texas, or uh, I'm on Team Israel for the Olympics. So you know, I was in Israel trying to build the game there, and so. Baseball has value in communities, and I tried to figure out a way to make more than baseball this place where minor leaguers can seek assistance. Minor leaguers can build a community of guys actually like going through the struggle together, build a community of players who would support each other, um, but then use that support and that 
and their time in the offseason to make baseball better where they live. And so more than baseball is this, is this give and take between um, how we can help a guy during the season versus what he can do for us uh, off the field. And so we developed it to make sure that the game was going to be better off. Um, and so when, when somebody donates, say for example, they give $20, they can give it specifically to a player, um, you know, in a way where, you know, this money should be allocated towards equipment, food, uh, whatever it might be before, before this whole pandemic, uh, we, we were never giving cash to players. It's not our job is to, it, we're not, we're not siphoning money to players. Um, but when players sign in, uh, they get, um, $200, uh, if they become a, a player rep, they get $200 to, for an equipment stipend. And, and one kid was like, look, equipment's great and everything, but, um, you know, I can't really eat right now. So if, can I get $200 cash? And we're like, <laughs> okay, you know, we can, we can make an exception here. But, um, so, so the money is allocated to different things. How can we help a kid get this equipment? Well, if it's, directed specifically towards him then yes we can we can do that but if not it goes into this this general fund uh which has grown over the last several months because people see a need and people like the way we speak about baseball and want to do what they can to support it so um you know some of our funds go to allocating the resources to helping players get things that they need it helps us (laughs) run our operations and, and market more than baseball and helps us build fields and communities and helps us get equipment for kids. And, um, and so the, the money is going towards making the game better. And now we're getting major leaguers interested. We're getting uh, more teams interested because on the other end of what we do is to make sure that we can help develop these players. And so if I can go into Toronto, for example, and I can say, well, if we help get them a mattress, if we help them sleep better, if we help them eat better, you know, they're play, you're going to play better. So bring us in and allow us the opportunity to work with you to create this uh, environment where these players are developing. So we have so many different angles of, of, of working, but it comes back to making sure the players have what they need, making sure the communities are developing through the players, working with brands and working with teams to make sure that these minor leaguers, we can see their value within, within the system that that is. And because they're not being paid well, well, we have to kind of work through that and work around that and not, not shame people into giving because they're being treated this way. So I'm kind of curious, taking a bit of a long view to all of this, what, I mean, you guys obviously hope to um, be able to provide every minor leaguer that needs it with, uh, with this sort of assistance um, but when you zoom out a little bit, what is your what is your kind of overarching goal? I guess the overarching goal is that you guys don't <laughs> need to exist at all because teams acknowledge that they can they can give these players these services. But what is it? What does the kind of future look like for you guys in the next six months to five years? Right now, we have about thirty player reps, and we work with two hundred plus. Uh, players who were signed in, which means they received the things that, you know, the access to the housing, food, equipment, career services, financial guidance, all that stuff. The player reps are given this uh, a little bit more power in the organization. They actually have a voice. We have a group text. We speak uh, right now. We speak daily on what are some things that we can do to help their teammates or their friends or the community as a whole. Um, I want to grow that. I want every player, you know, 
there are so many players. There's close to 6,000. There are, of the group of players, 90% won't make it. Uh, of the 10% that do make it, it's majority first through fifth rounds. And so you you have a lot, a lot of players who come into the system, they get chewed up, spit out, and they're worse off after. And I want to make sure that they come in, they perform to the best of their ability, they fulfill what their, their full potential, um, and then when they leave the game, they leave with having started a business or leaving having uh, something to get into after uh you know either it's into coaching either it's um into finance or whatever it might be can we help him transition out uh we are here because currently there's nothing in place to help this group of players right these close to six thousand players the majority of them obviously won't make it to the big leagues they leave with with nothing and i i was tired of seeing guys 28 29 30 with a college degree or not with student loan debt with and having nothing to fall back into and i knew that if we spoke about baseball this way we would have more access to do that so in six months i want to have every player uh, signed into what we do i want to have bigger companies work with us i want linkedin to be part of this i want um Major League Baseball to say every player mandatory has to sign up for more than baseball. I want the MLBPA to um, to work with us to build community development projects with minor leaguers and major leaguers working together. I, there are so many different things that that can be done because we have such a large number of players. We have more players than Major League Baseball has. We, it would be, you know, collectively close to six thousand. And so, can we get all these guys under one roof, one umbrella? Can we work on building a community? where they can um, you know, work out in the off-season with guys that they know. Can we get them jobs in the off-season? Can we get them discounts on um, you know, different gym memberships or whatever? Uh, do, do I want to continue to do this work in the next two to three years? I love doing what I do. It's incredible that we've gotten this far, that we're on – we're in Washington Post and we're in Boston Globe and people talk about us nationally. I'm speaking with you guys, which means we're doing the right thing. but. I hope Major League Baseball sees that there's incentive um, to treat these guys a little bit better. And we're, we're showing them that, right? We're showing them that if you treat these guys better, you'll get better performance. Happy players will create better performance. And, and we do a lot of work with uh, employment researchers because this is a job, right? And so happy employees creates better performance at your job. And so we take that notion every day. What can I do to make this kid happier at his job? Am I doing it for the benefit of a major league baseball team who can definitely afford to treat him better? Yeah, but I'm making sure that this kid individually isn't struggling to make ends meet. He can fulfill his his job. He can do what he can, and then he can give back to the game in the offseason or before games or when he's done. He's going to be a happier person because of what we're doing. Jeremy, you've mentioned the word community a lot. Um, and I think that's something that we like to think about, a word that we like to think about in the way that we talk about baseball and the way that we watch baseball and consume it. Um, I'm wondering on a kind of lighter note here with baseball, well, I guess not really on a lighter note, but with baseball on pause and uh, we're all kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs, wishing that it was back. Is there anything that you're doing to keep baseball in your life as we wait for the regular season to come back? Other than obviously you're, day-to-day work with more than baseball are you watching old games are you checking out some highlight videos what's up with that i have to get ready for the olympics 
So, oh, right. <laughs> uh, so we're all still proceeding as if that's going on at the same time. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, yeah, uh, it's it's gonna happen. You know, I was gonna go play indie ball this year in Lake Erie, and so I was kind of gearing up for that, getting my arm ready, getting my swing ready. You know, getting back. I haven't played professionally in two years, so I was just like, "What is? What do I do?" Um, <laughs> and so that was it. Now it's like, you know old games maybe like game seven of the oh one world series like because i'm in arizona and nice you know i i that's i'll do that right uh I, I don't know maybe if maybe if there's access i don't know if there's access to full games maybe on youtube somewhere maybe i can go back and watch you know some 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 trash can games and kind of uh <laughs> and see where see if guys knew what pitches were coming and see if you can tell who you know Maybe I can watch Game Five of the Seventeen World Series and watch Clayton Kershaw not get any swings and misses on his curveball. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's I mean, I mean, it's funny you you say that because that's our that's our newest project on this podcast is just going back and talking about um, rewatching some older baseball games and uh, and just talk, contextualizing them right within the I would, grand, I grand love, scheme of things. Yeah, absolutely. I would love on on Twitter if you and me and maybe Foolish Baseball and John Boyd can talk about, you know, some of the most influential games of all yeah. time. You know, you got your 86 World Series and whatever. But what are some games that actually, like, you can look back and say, like, this is one of the top 20 greatest games because of this reason? You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, because of some pivotal moment in it, something that foreshadowed yeah. where baseball might go. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, something happened, somebody broke his hand and then, you know, this player took over and, you know, maybe there's a Lou Gehrig to a Wally Pip or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe we can look back at why John Ulurud wore a helmet for his entire career. So <laughs> uh, uh, maybe there was an instance in there. Uh, I want to, before I let you get out of here, I want to ask you, because uh, before we started recording, Alex and I were mentioning that we went to NYU and I covered sports there and would frequently ask the players what it was like to play um, in Coney Island. I want to ask you that same question. What was it like to play there with the roller coasters in the background and everything? Was that really enjoyable? Was it distracting? I'm curious about that. Well, I grew up a diehard Mets fan, right? My family's from New York City. And so they said, we want to make this kid as miserable as possible. So here are the Jets. <laughs> here are the Jets, Knicks, and uh, Oh, and no. Mets. The Holy yeah, Trinity. I know. And so I grew up in Phoenix wearing like Mets gear and whatever. And so uh, just to preface, like I got to play for the New York Mets being a diehard Mets. Like that, that's, that's a lot of fun. It, I, there's a picture of me. Maybe I can find it. I'm wearing a Mets jersey and, or I'm wearing a Mets hat and like a Tim Tebow jersey. And then I got to play for the Mets and sit next to Tim Tebow on the bus to spring training. <laughs> and uh, that was so cool. But so I got sent to Brooklyn right, in 2017. Edgardo Alfonso was my manager. Um, and I got to play in Coney Island. Now I'm Jewish. I'm half Jewish. My mother's Italian. So that's why I talk the way I do. And, um, all of the Jewish kids would be like, Oh, this kid's number 18. Let's go see if he's Jewish. Cause 18 is like this, this Jewish number. Right. I don't, I don't know why I don't tell my <laughs> rabbi that, but he, uh, they like, Oh, I love that. You know, you're my favorite player. Like the, everyone's Jewish here. Like the whole place would, uh, you know, cheer for me, and then I do bad, and, and then I'd get booed, and I'm like, okay, it's New York, <laughs> no. so it's yeah. nothing new. But um, when I, yeah, was it distracting? Hell yeah, it was distracting. There's a roller coaster going on in the background. Like, I yes, know that's what I'm trying to say. That's <laughs> and, insane. And, and I'm a left-handed hitter, and so the 
the the righty, the a righty would release it right at the arc of the oh, God the thing. And so if people were if there was an actual roller coaster going on, there's nothing I could do. And the wind was blowing in from right field. And don't look at my stats because it kind of indicates that. I blame the wind, <laughs> but there's there's a lot of things, and you know, in the fleeting window of minor league baseball, I didn't hit enough home runs, and that is what it is. You know, maybe maybe we need park adjusted stats for players who had to play with roller coasters in the background. You know, Seriously. like I, I say, we give yeah. your we give your baseball reference stats like a twenty percent bump. The uh, analytics just to, just movement hasn't gone far enough. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if my baseball reference has a war. But uh, let's check. Let's check that and see if it's above. <laughs> if it's above zero, God, I hope so. <laughs> um, last thing: uh, is there any? Are there any projects that um, people can look out for from More Than Baseball coming up in the future? Uh, places that they can find the website, where to donate, Twitter, Instagram, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was just just to add on to that. How can how can people get involved if they're if they're hearing this and they're like, all right, what can I do? Yeah, morethanbaseball.org is the website. They can give there to uh, a player or a specific project. Uh, if they want to build a field in their community, there's, they're more than welcome to. They can host an event, not right now, obviously, but um, in the future at minor league games, they can, they can host an event. If, um, if they want players to come out to the local Little League or the local school, we do a lot of school visits. We have a, actually have a school visit program called Your Success Story, where we actually get minor league baseball players to teach a class and what made them successful, right? I taught a class on meditation, why meditation it was important to me while I was playing. Um, you know, So we do a lot of things within the, the community. If, if baseball is valuable to them in their community and their kids, there's always something that that we can do. Um, you can follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram, MTB underscore ORG. Uh, we're starting a podcast, which will have five or six episodes going out in the next few weeks called the grind. Uh, just a podcast about life in, in professional baseball told from the angle of, of these players. Uh, we're going to put stuff on YouTube soon, kind of uh, behind the scenes. This is what it's like to kind of now gear up for a second season or what, uh, the COVID-19 has done for professional baseball kind of give we're giving a lens to um, to all of this right we're making minor league baseball uh, more digestible right in the local you know in your social media diet it's it's we're gonna make sure that minor league baseball players have a voice in in all of this and so um, yeah feel free to just google us you can hit me up on on instagram jeremy wolf and um you know, if you want to talk, email me, Jeremy at more than baseball.org. I'm always open for ideas and questions. And, and this is again, just what can we do to make baseball better? That's, uh, that's our goal. I that's great, it. man. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Yeah. Thanks Thank so much guys. for joining us. Appreciate it. I was alone. I took a ride. I didn't know what I would find. All right. Thank you to Jeremy Wolf from more than baseball. Alex, thank you to you for watching along. As we prepare to talk about baseball without new baseball, <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, weird times, man. I, we usually sit down to do a podcast, and and we're like, "What the hell are we going to talk about?" Like that's tough when there is baseball going on. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bleak few weeks, bleak few months, if we're being honest, because I don't think I don't think we're getting any real baseball until like. June or July at the earliest. So uh, 
that's in in my professional opinion as a um, as a shadow member of the CDC. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, we hope that y'all will will join us on this journey as we take this deep dive into into baseball history and and hopefully unearth some some stories, some some ideas that we weren't familiar with. And if you, the listener, once again have ideas for games that you want us to to watch. If you have suggestions on uh, on ways that we should talk about these games, or any particular stories from a from a game that you think that we missed, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email at tippingpitchespod at, at gmail.com. Tell us why tell us why young John Smoltz is actually the cutest baseball player of all time. Tell us why tell us why more baseball players need mustaches because that's just a fact right there. We're clearly open to ideas. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back next Monday. But yeah, we hope that y'all will will join us on this journey as we go back through this computer has been scheduled to go to sleep automatically. Why? <laughs> oh boy. Sure. <laughs> My computer got bored of this podcast. It's just like shut the fuck up already.